more for the toolbox. So the really incredible these weapons, these broken things that are unbelievable. And, uh, then because of the joy that was set before him, I believe that's you and I, uh, that he endured the cross, despising the pain. Because the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and that was knowing that what he would accomplish, there would be multitudes and multitudes of people that would receive him and touched by the work of the cross. This great verse in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 19, Jesus sent out men on a missionary journey, and they came back and they said, wow, they had all kinds of joy. There can be all kinds of joyful things that take place based upon what happens in ministry. There's nothing wrong with that at all. He said, rejoice not, Luke 10, 17 to 19, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you. One day they are, another day they're not. One day evangelism is amazing, the next day people are like slapping you. One day you gotta you gotta finances, the next day you lose your job. One day everything's going well in the family, the next day who knows what's going on. No idea. One day you're very healthy, next day you're in the bathroom. And the hospital. You have no idea what's going on. So our joy is not based upon these things, failure, success, spirit subject, they're not subject to you. Our joy is based on this. Rather rejoice that your name yeah. is written in heaven. Amen? Amen. That I am saved forever. Amen. Rather rejoice in this, that your name is written in heaven. Thank you. Okay, you can have joy over the fact that spirits are subject to you, that there is things that are taking place in the ministry. But what if you're like Adoniram Judson who spent 37 years in Burma and he didn't win a soul for 10 years? And he lost his wife. By the way, he lost his second wife. I think he'd be very careful about marrying him. <laughs> he lost his children. He suffered. He was, he was in the death prison of Ava, where they took him and put him upside down, tied him every night. That's how he slept, on the small of his back. And so we see these two uh, initiations, and I, I love them, uh, about the joy of the Lord. Paul said to the Ephesian leaders, and this is especially for the leaders in Miletus, as we already heard, Acts 20, verses 17 through 35, he made a great statement. I would love this verse since I've been a Christian. None of these things move me. Neither do I count my life precious or dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy. Wow. Finish my course how? Crumbling, physical, I don't, how come there's not a better response? What's going on here? Yeah. Huh? I remember going into places in uh, Africa, and uh, within a few weeks, they said, what are you? said, oh, wow. You don't realize all the effort that was put into this little adventure of faith at this place. And I remember a man said to me one time, he was an immigration specialist. He was the head of immigration in a certain country in West Africa. He said, pack your bags, you're leaving within seven days. I'm signing your deport notice. You're going, and your family too. 
I went to the bathroom. I said, I gotta use the bathroom, which is that time important. <laughs> and I prayed, I said, well, you have to do something about this man. Something has to take place. I was told to come back a week later, and I said, I got I'm giving God three choices. It's kind of strange thing to say, but I said, I'm giving you uh, three choices to convert him, send him to another country or kill him. Not really, and I like the other ones, conversion one. I went back next week and he was in another, he was in England. He was gone. I stayed 30 something years wow. later. But it was, it's amazing that can, can I receive the joy of God in the midst of any situation that I'm facing? Whatever it may be. Maybe uh, somebody gets saved, maybe nobody gets saved. Maybe people come to church, we got visitors, maybe nobody comes to church when we have visitors. But this is some, an important aspect of the ministry. Finish my course with joy. And I love how joy is directly related to the word grace. The word grace, as you know, charis, then joy is C-H-A-I-R-O. It's a direct line to the grace of God. And because we have grace and we are saved by grace, joy. And how Satan wants to rob my joy. He wants to rob the joy I have in fellowship. He wants to rob the joy. Maybe on the way back down. I, you get, hopefully this doesn't happen. Flat tire happens. Something goes wrong. Something takes place, right? He's always looking to come in and steal. Steal the joy that the believer has, that the church has. And to me, this is vital. Yeah. This is so key. Finish my course with joy. Last night, I, I faced two situations yesterday that were, to me, devastating for the people I was talking to. Number one, we had a pastor who was overseeing 10 churches in Uganda who uh, went home to be with the Lord. He got very ill. They cut his feet off, his toes off because of diabetes, and then he passed. Ooh. Just he just passed, and he has he has uh, overseas ten churches, has eight children. Yeah. Name of Pastor Santos in Uganda, and just ministering to people in Uganda and talking to them, I, I sense that yes, there's sorrow over what's taking place, but there's an inward deep joy that mm. comes from knowing he's gone to heaven. Yeah. He hallelujah, oh, he went to heaven, yes. and there's joy. <laughs> so the enemy would like to bring in. All kinds of situations that might steal that joy. I had another conversation uh, the last three days. I've been talking to somebody who used to um, kind of make you pay when you did not pay the family. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go any further than that. He was a hitman. That's what he was. And uh, years and years ago, we had Curly in Springfield, Massachusetts. And Curly preached the message, and this man walked forward mm. and knelt there. And I love what Curly said, take everything out of your pockets. There was a bag of cocaine, was a gun. I know this person. Well, he's been calling me up, and he said to me, did the salvation last despite all of the things I've done wrong mm. in my life? Does God love me, Amen. and am I, I going to go to heaven? To me, that was amazing. Just 30 years later. Wow. Isn't it amazing? Wow. The word of God never returns what? Boy. Boy, but it will accomplish what I believe. And I was talking to his ex-wife 
last night and talking to his, uh, his uh, daughter and whatnot, I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. What God can do in a moment of time. Mm. And that just in speaking to him, is there hope for me? Can I go to heaven? With, you know, I've done so many things contrary to God's will. And I said, you asked Christ into your life. Did you do that? And did you mean it? He said, yes, I did. He said, but I got so messed up along the way. And I could just say, I just had such joy in my own heart speaking to him. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Amazing. Amazing verse. Evermore? You mean all the time? In every situation? Really? When things aren't going the way you think they should go? When things are just like they've been upended, all kinds of things have taken place, everything has happened. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I like how Paul says it, rejoice in the Lord always. In case you didn't get it, again I say rejoice. Yes. Maybe you didn't get it. He used the word joy, I think, 15 to 16 times in the Philippian epistle. What was going on in Philippi? Their pastor was sick and dying. Aphrodite's. Their apostle was in prison. Two women were dividing the church. The Roman government was lording over the colony. The wisdom of the Greeks was attacking the church, and the Jews who were living uh, with religious legalism were coming against the message, along with a number of other things. What does he say? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You want these people to rejoice? It can't be done through natural circumstances or human ability, but it's in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. What is it that could what is it that I could be in that could take away my joy from being in the Lord? I'm in the Lord. It's joy. It's a finished work. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. It's amazing. All kinds of things will take place in our lives, all kinds of situations. The ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, the backwards, the forwards, everything going on. But my joy is in God. Yes. My joy is in God and God alone. My joy is in the finished work of the cross. My joy is in the church. I mean, I read a story about a young boy who was looking through the window of a church like for three Sundays in a row. And somebody said to him, what do you think about what's going on? He says, I don't want any part of it the way those people look. <laughs> said they look miserable. They look like they're ready to, like, you know, they look horrible. <laughs> miserable. It's like there's no joy there. And I'm not talking about contrived joy through some natural effort to say, I'm going to have joy and I'm going to force it to happen through the flesh. But having a deep inward sense of God's joy in my life, regardless of what's going on. Regardless of what's going on. I think it's, a, it's amazing. And I, one of the things I love, one of the things that I, I see uh, for sure, Pastor Eugene and Pastor Melville can testify to this. Uh, in Africa, there's a lot of joy. Yeah. There's a lot of joy. And they've got, there's poverty, there's illiteracy, there's coups and governments, upheavals. There's all kinds of things going on. Can you imagine the, uh, the average person in Uganda only lives to be 48 years old? Huh. That's the average, you know, like we have maybe, what's our, 70? Something like that, 72. 48 years old. But to see the joy that they have because of Jesus Christ. And the joy that they have because they're born again. And the joy that they have because they have eternal life. 
And by the way, when I read the Bible, it should bring me what? Joy. I did find thy word and I ate it, and it was a joy and rejoicing to my soul, for I am called by thy name. I ate the word. They were coming at me from every direction. Family hated me. The prophets, the hierarchy of the Jewish uh, religion going against Jeremiah. He says, you know what? I found the word and I ate it. Wow, what a meal that was, huh? And it was a joy and rejoicing to my heart. I'm called by that name. Do I have joy when I read the Bible? Is there joy? God, I want to meet you. Not contrived. But I'm so thankful. Can you imagine God speaks to us? Amen. Amen. I mean, we, we can hear God speak to us. God speaking to me. Amen. Oh, joy. Joy. Joy in the church. Hallelujah. Joy in the church. And in the fellowship and in the relationship. Joy in bringing the gospel. Do I walk up to you and I say, uh, you know, you, know, you need to be born again. <laughs> Christ as your savior, come on. You're not going to me say, what do I want with this guy? What do I, what do I want with this person's uh, Christianity or whatever they may call it? There's no joy. What does the word gospel mean? A message, even the Jews, a message to cheer the hearers. It's a message that what? Cheers the hearers. By the way, understanding that more and more in my life, I want to evangelize more and more as a Christian, as a pastor, because it's a message that brings cheer or joy to the hearer. You think anything else out there is bringing joy to them? No. What's going on in the stupid news? <laughs> What's taking place all over the place, whether it's this problem, that problem? We got a message of joy, amen? Amen. Yes. We, got a, we have an awesome message. And we preach it in the church and we live it in the church. The gospel prayer should be what? Oh boy, it's, a, it's an all night prayer meeting. Oh, man. Oh, I'll never get through. Oh, no. Oh, man. Is there joy in prayer? Huh? I'm talking to God. Think about that. God talks to me in the Bible, and I talk to God. What a joy. What a joy. And I know I'm not trying to make light of difficult situations and real affliction that take place, but in the midst of that, what can I have? Joy. joy of the Lord. What becomes my strength, Nehemiah 8.10? The wow. joy of the Lord. What's going on in Corinth? There's all kinds of troubles in Corinth. And Paul is talking about joy. Talking about joy in the Corinthian church. Don't let the enemy rob your joy. Mm. Don't let situations that happen in the church rob your joy. Don't let problems rob your joy. Don't, don't let your own flesh through the struggles that we have in growing and walking with God, rob your joy. Mm. Don't let that happen. Yes. We want we have this joy. Does the Holy Spirit have joy? Yes. Really? Yes, actually. Sure, the person of the Holy Spirit has joy. And so, being spirit-filled, and that you need to grow, you need to go out with God, and say, oh God, I desire so much to be a partaker of your joy. Partake of the divine nature sacrifice. Joy of God yes. in my marriage. Wow. I have such joy in my marriage. And, and, and maybe things aren't always working out the way my wife wants them to work out. You're going where? I said, I can't stay in the bathroom longer. It's been 10 days. I got to get out. She goes, All right, go ahead. You know, I got to. We have joy in our marriage. Joy in raising children. You know, I hear people say, 
I'm not bringing any, I'm not having any kids. I'm not bringing any kids into this world. What happened to God's world? Amen. What happened to God's kingdom? Amen. What happened to joy? Mm. It's, it's contagious, isn't it? Yeah. Right here, we have a, it's contagious right here with all of the leadership that's here. The leadership that has incredible joy that comes from God. The root word is from the word grace. It's received from God. <laughs> The word is a joy. The church is a joy. The gospel is a joy. Fellowship is a joy. Prayer is a joy. Trouble is a what? Trouble can be a joy. God's opportunity to fill me with the spirit of joy in the midst of it. So when you face people and you see people with incredible troubles, my brother and I used to run a counseling center for 10 years. We had neurotics, psychotics, murderers. Uh, thieves, you, you name it, we had them. Thousands of them a year. Wow. You know what? You're coming in, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of joy. Yes. There's going to be a lot of joy, and maybe you haven't experienced that at all. I had this woman one time, every, she, every time she came in, she talked about she was going to commit suicide. But one day, I sent, they sent her up to my office, and I'm on the fourth floor, and I opened the window and stepped out on the ledge. She goes, how's your mother? What are you doing out there? I said, I'm so convinced by what you're telling me, I'm going to jump. No, don't do that! <laughs> Oops. You can joy. Joy, I have a lot of joy in life. That's funny. The enemy will enhance some of those things and make them so much bigger than they really yeah, are. Thank God for his joy. It's the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Professor Shebel. Um, just trying to figure out uh, how to go from there to there. So, uh, joy, yeah, joy, and what this? <laughs> that was amazing. It was really, I'm really thankful for Pastor Chibay. Yeah. If I can just tell you how we managed to go correct it because we don't have the same recollection on what happened. But, uh, I was 17 when I first met him. He still holds it against me that I didn't join his team in Ghana back in the day. So, so we love each other. Nice. <laughs> I was 17 years old. Yeah, that was a while ago. That was a while ago. Um, okay, hello. We thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this time together today. Thank you for, for the worship that we can share together and just uh, gather around your name and, and gather around the gospel. Yes, we bless our time together. Amen. Amen. Um, yes, so I have two... Um, uh, two things I want, I want to say in one way. One is that, so in Baltimore, we started a new ministry for the young adults in the church. And I know that other churches have done the same, right? I know Pastor Shibley in your church, you have one. Pastor Bailey in your church, you have one. And we realized, um, so I'm going to use that as an intro to what I want to say, but we realized that, um, you know, how discipleship is something that needs to be intentional. And then... We can be easily, as leaders, we've been around maybe for a while, and we can easily think that, you know, what we are today is just 
just happened. And then you think back and realize how many people give you the room to grow, give you opportunities to be in leadership. And then we tend to, and I say we as I include myself, like of course, like we tend to forget that. And 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 one of the reasons why we have this young adults ministry, just like any ministry we have really in the church, it's to to make disciples, right? So I mean, when you boil down to what the church is, it has three reasons to exist, right? Glorify God, edify the saints, and reach the lost. That's what we do. Anything else is a plus. But every time we do something, it's either to meet one of those three goals and possibly meet those three goals at the same time. And the idea of, so I'm not going to be very long, and then after maybe if you have comments or questions, we, we can discuss those. But um, uh, I, I shared uh, during convention in June a workshop on, on helping others finding their gifts. And, um, and I've been thinking about that since, and just wondering for myself, you know, as, as a leader in the church, leading young people, how do we help, you know? Um, and then I was just going to go through a few points with you just to start a conversation, maybe, and then in your own, in your own setting, in your own church, maybe you can think of that as well. But, um, Pastor, you know, in a way, I'm building on what Pastor Shibley and Pastor Justin said this morning. You know, uh, that we have this I- idea sometimes um, that we, you know, the uh, um, that we that we forget that the church will will outlive us. You know, we forget that our ministry will outlive us. If the Lord tarries, like 50 years from now, it's more likely that we'll not be doing the young adults ministry. We'll be 100 years old, and if I'm still alive, we'll be, we'll be a little ridiculous. What? What did you say? Yes. So, uh, so, and then if if this is true, then you know. And then we said that the road church, one of them is in Matthew 28, that we are sent into the world to make disciples. We're not sent into the world to evangelize. That's what it says. We're sent into the world to make disciples, which is, which is the next step. When you, when you bring the gospel to someone that gets saved, the, the goal of salvation is to, is to know Christ. And, and knowing Christ is being a, living an obedient life, and living an obedient life is being a disciple. And a few things I've realized that we've got to be... Um, and when we lead and we, if we want to help young people, uh, young leaders, young men, particularly maybe because I'm, I'm seeing a bunch of you guys here today, um, is the first thing we do, we need to think intentionally, right? I need to think intentionally. Things don't just, they don't just happen, mm. right? We, we make disciples because we decide to be disciples. We go out for coffee because we made the time to go out for coffee, because we wanted to, because... We have a plan, right? So the first thing we have to be, we need to have in our, in our mind is, is thinking intentionally. I'm doing things, I'm not having a strategy, that's not what I'm there to do, because I think Pastor Justin said this morning that we're not there to manage, right? In, in, we're not managers, we're leaders, which is very different. A manager will do things and the leader will help people. Like if anything I do, is towards helping others grow in Christ that I'm doing, I, I should be doing it. But I'm not, I'm not managing a ministry, I'm leading people. You know, that's what I, so the ministry is one with organized that leading for it to happen. This is where the intentionality is very important in our life. So that's the first thing, like, do, what do I do? I, am I thinking it? Am I praying about it? Am I doing this 
And do I have a plan in a way? And then again, I said, when I say a plan, it's not a strategy. Like, because it's very easy to organize things. Like, okay, we can organize meetings, we can organize events. But then if when we lose the focus of why we're doing what we're doing, then we obviously uh, we don't do things intentionally. And that's something we can lose very easily. Because it's the op for me, the opposite of in intentionality is, is being casual. Mm. The casual in the wrong way. You know, whatever happens will happen. So we trust that God will do his will, of course. But now he wants us to be in the way. You know, he wants us to be in, uh, involved. Uh, number two. The other thing uh, I realize also as leaders is that it's important that we know our gifts. But the other thing we have to know is that it's very important for me to know what my gifts are not. Because if I don't know what my gifts are not, unless you're like Pastor Shibley, who said he can do everything better than everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just him. Uh, everybody else like us, we don't have as many gifts as Pastor Shibley. So, <laughs> so we obviously cannot identify with that. But then the point is, I think uh, if we don't know what our limits are, like if I don't know what my gifts are not, then I would not delegate. I would not delegate. And that's something I have to be aware of. So knowing that our gifts are not, it's just not the fact that, okay, we are afraid sometimes to think this way because we, we feel like we're inadequate for ministry by thinking of what I cannot do. But that's exactly how I should feel, inadequate for ministry. Because the ministry should not depend on me. It's the work of the body of Christ, right? So we think this way, in that way, and then, because um, when I do know what my gifts are not, like if you take 1 Corinthians 12, right? You have, if you read 12, 13, and 14, it's amazing how Paul describes in 12, you know, how the, the gifts work together in the church. And then he opens a parenthesis of, we're going to need a lot of love for that, okay? And then the 14, he explains how the gifts play out in the church. But then it's interesting because in verse 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, it says there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And diversities of activities, but the same God. And if you study those three words, right, which is um, <clears throat> gifts and ministries and, their, and, and uh, activities, which actually is the word operations, you realize that in the church, that's why I'm, I'm saying about knowing what our gifts are not, is the one, number one thing we hear from, uh, we learn from 1st and 12, is that I don't have all the gifts. And if I don't have all the gifts, then I should be learning to delegate, make room for the people and invite them intentionally. Okay, come on, let's do something together, because I realize maybe, uh, you know, we've learned through the years that um, we often heard that people find their gifts through the lens of encouragement. Right? This is how we discover our gifts. Uh, I discovered my gifts because somebody told me that, hey, maybe, you know, um, like I, the first time I preached at a church in southern France, I was 18 years old. Uh, I was coming, you know, from a time where I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And one of those was serving God was not on my radar anymore. I'm going to do something else, you know. So I've been, you know, in the church, out of the church a little bit. Between that trip when I met Pastor Shibili and... You know, in that year, and and um, so God was working in those, but I was not really involved in the church. And one day, you know, Pastor, um, you remember Pastor Michel Oaks? You know, he was an assistant pastor in the church, and he called me. He was doing the service, and he said, "Hey, do you want to do an intro tomorrow morning?" I'm thinking, an intro tomorrow morning. I mean, I don't know. You know, I've never spoken 
in the church. I hadn't really been in the church for a while. And I realized, okay, maybe. So I remember exactly what I spoke on that morning. Uh, and then at the end, he took me out to lunch, and then we started a conversation. And the conversation was all about the, the encouragement, right? And he said, well, I heard you speak, and maybe God has a calling on your life. Like, oh, yeah, I, speak, I spoke three minutes, and you think God has a calling on my life. I don't know if he believed that because he saw anything. I don't think so. But he believed that because he's thinking, maybe God has something for him. And he didn't let me go for six years through Bible college, four years, and then I started to teach in the Bible college. He would sit in my class the first semester I taught. They would meet, meet me with me and, and try to help me grow in my teaching. And the point here is that now if you ask me what, what, what my gifts are, I would definitely tell you that one of them is, is teaching. And it's because somebody encouraged me, you know. So, so when, we, when we see that and realize first that I don't have all the gifts, but I'm encouraging others in possible gifts they have. We don't know yet. This is how people will discover the gifts. But if I don't make room for others, then I cannot see that. And it's really something important for, for, obviously, for the young people also. So number one, we think intentionally. Number two, we know what our gifts are not. And number three, it's also something I find, and we talked about, we spoke about that with Pastor Dennis just a few minutes earlier. Like, we don't label people. That's something we've got to be careful about because, um, and I see, and Pastor Shelley instructed us several times, we doesn't want to hear the, the expression generational gap. We don't want to have that. We don't want to think of it this way. But then we can build as leaders, older leaders, we can build that by labeling younger people. And we have, you know, we could say, well, these are millennials. You know how millennials are. And not, you know, or, or it's, you know, the young people today are not like the greatest generation. They are snowflakes, you know, that we use those expressions. But how can we see people in Christ when we label them? We can't. If I see you and you witness, I won't be able to hear whatever you have to say. And if we do that with the next generation of people, because they are not like us, number one, we forget how we were when we were their age. I never forget that. And the other thing is, you don't see someone in Christ when you label them. And how can we label a whole generation? Mm. You can't do that. You know, so it's, it's one thing that, that I realized in my life, I'm going to be very careful. Because it's easy to realize that 30, 35 years older than the people I'm, I'm working with, it's easy for me to see flaws. You know, but the real, I, actually, um, I was telling the, I'm teaching apologetics two hours a week you know, in, in, uh, at GGCA to the seniors. And one day we were having a conversation about somehow something a little bit like this, but and I said, well, the difference I told him, the difference between you and I it's not that you mess up and I don't that's not the difference the difference between you and I is you mess up I mess up but you don't know it and I know it that's the difference so my experience in life is I know how, I, how much I can mess up mm. so that brings, this is how what God does in our life, to bring humility and dependence on Him. But then if I forget that I also am in the same category, then I don't see them with the potential in Christ. And labeling people it really has a tendency to do that. And um, uh, so how do we include people? How do we include people in, in, our, in our ministry? Um, and I realize sometimes, I think, you know, like when you're intentional and you see an opportunity, you're going to seize the opportunity. That's what you want to do. But the thing is also, like, 
if we fall into a trap thinking we have the gifts and then we don't delegate, then when somebody comes along, we look around and see, well, I don't see any room for you in the ministry right now. So, so you know what I'm saying? Because I don't... But maybe if you leave someone with room, they won't take a seat. They will bring something to the table. They will bring a new ministry. They will bring something that has never been done before. And if we go back to... Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, you know, it says you have the same different gifts, different ministries, and different operations. And what I like about this chapter, these particular three verses, is one thing that is, challenges us when we've been doing things for a long time, we want things, we're usually set in our ways, right? This is one thing that we do when we get older, we don't like things to change. And every time there is a change, we, we get insecure about it. But also, when we get insecure about it, we look at other people and then we realize that when they don't do things the way, when especially young people don't do things the way I do things, I have a tendency of looking at it as something, oh, there must be something wrong about it. It doesn't look like what I'm doing. So the point here that Paul is making is that when so we have diversity of gifts, your gifts and my gifts may be different. But then when we have the, game, the same gifts, we may have different ministry. Maybe Pastor Jack is a teacher, you know, I have gifted teaching, you teach in, in, in the church, I teach in the high school. So we do different ministry, but we have the same gifts. Uh, maybe we have the same gifts in the same ministry, right? Maybe, I don't know, let's say Pastor Matt, for example, who replaced me at BCLS, he has a gift of administration and teaching, I have the same gifts. We are in the same position, so we have the same gifts and the same ministry, but we have different operations. The way he leads MBCNS is not the way I led MBCNS at all. So, but if I see that as, well, unfortunately, he doesn't lead a business like I do. <laughs> exactly. You're laughing because it's ridiculous. But then this is exactly what we do when we don't make room for younger people. Because we look at them coming as, well, I, you know, like Pastor Shibi, I think it, you, you were so, it was great and fun this morning. But, you know, when you told the, that lady, do whatever you wanted, and then, and then she comes back and says, look at that. Well, you can do it the way you want, except that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly, you know, why? Because we would be tempted to think this is not the way we do things. But does it really matter? That's one question I need to ask myself. Like if I don't lose my goal, which is I know where I want to go, which I want to be able to serve Christ, glorify Him. If somebody does things differently because they operate differently, even though they have the same gift and the same ministry, is this new way of doing something, is this glorifying God? If it is the case, and it's okay if I'm shaken. It's, if so, if so, it's okay if I can do. If it's not done the way I'm used to do. Um, and the last thing I want to say, maybe, maybe we can can just finish there. But uh, as I said, you know, people find their gifts through encouragement, um, and that's something the body of Christ can do. You know, um, like do we encourage people to step in faith? Because this is the only way to serve God, right? God is not interested in our, in our natural talents. He gives us gifts, spiritual gifts. And then when we when you come in, in, into ministry, where we start serving God, then we know that we don't have what it takes naturally, but we also have what it takes spiritually because with the calling in our lives comes the gifts. So we are equipped to do whatever God calls us to do. But you don't see that when you're young. You learn that with experience. But you have to step in faith because... When you don't see it, you have to trust that it's true. And then when you when you look back, you realize, well, it was true. But then 
this is when we, we come in, you know, as we will experience later and when we look at the young people and say, okay, no, you need to step in faith in this one. Like, I, I can see something, I can see a gift in your life, maybe you can't see, but let's see what God does. And I think it's interesting when we, you know, we bring people along and to discover how great taste, come and taste how great the, the uh, you know, how great the Lord is. That's what we try to do. Like, discipleship, this is it, you know. We're not trying to accomplish something. We're not hiring people. We're not a company. We're trying to get things done. You know, we, we look at opportunities that God gives us, and then we realize we want to seize those opportunities and see um, and see other people developed and in their growth with God, in their knowledge of God, and then and it makes our transitions easier, right? Because when we look back, realize and we turn around, and, okay, well, this is it. You know, for me, you know, I, you know, I don't know, I could be going to Pastor Chibli, 100 years old, you know, and then. And then, and then this is it for me, you know, in one way. And then, but you look back and say, okay, yes, this the tra transition is happening because we, we because we've been doing this intentionally for years, maybe, you know. And then so, yes, that's what I wanted to say. So thank you very much. If you have any questions for Pastor Shibili or myself, then uh, we have six more minutes. Well, it's kind of challenging to to uh, see. We're not. It's just God leading us to the meeting, and then great to the different brothers, and there are so many other brothers here too. And I had the idea that I could share the word, share a word now, and then uh, call on some different men just spontaneously. I made a list here. I went over the papers that you, we gathered yesterday. Uh, uh, that were, you know, um, you know, uh, subjects that that you're interested in hearing on, and and then I just uh, made a short list and then tagged uh, some of them with different men that are here. So. You get five minutes or something like that to say something on that subject. So that would be spontaneous and would be that tonight, I think. So turn to, uh, well, you know, turn to First Samuel uh, 17. First. And of course, on note, I when I I uh, I met with my son Justin this afternoon. We were in my room for a little while, and uh, we both had tears. You know, just it came over us, and it was like tears of, of Thanksgiving. You know, for for who we are and what God has done for us, our family, and and um, we gotta say that a lot of what we see here, if not everything, is a result of something way beyond us. Amen. And that God has saved you, um, redeemed us, regenerated us, given us the Holy Spirit, 
And, and uh, I, w- I want to make that point, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and how much do you teach in your church about the Holy Spirit? You think you are always walking in the Holy Spirit? Mm. Huh? What do you think? I don't think so. I, I don't know. There are times I don't. Do you know when you are not in the Holy Spirit? Huh? Do you raise your hand? Do you know that? You discern. How do you know that? You're not filled with the Spirit. How do you know that? Your wife tells you. Hey, that reminds me of a joke. Cartoon, and it was a pastor with his wife, and the wife said, "Hey, I got an idea. That instead of you going to the church and being charming and loving, and coming home being grumpy and angry, we'll switch it around. You'd be charming and loving at home, and you'd be grumpy at the church." <laughs> All right. So th- this is important. Um, and you, you and I must know this about ourselves. And then we must also recognize it with other people. Because you cannot have people in the flesh running your church. You cannot have an elder in the flesh running your church, threatening you, manipulating you. You cannot have a woman in your church that's oppressing and accusing and attacking and gossiping. If they are in the flesh, you need to recognize that, right? And that say that, no, we are in the spirit. Have you ever rebuked somebody that was in the flesh? And how did you do it? Okay, it's a good question, isn't it? Have you ever said to somebody that you love very much, you say, you know, stop it right now. Like, stop it. Don't talk to me about that. Don't you ever talk to me about that again. Have you ever done it? Good question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can be kind about it. We are we are to be in the spirit when we do it. And we are to be humble. Right? Galatians 6, 1 and 2. We must be humble. But what if you never do it? And this person is like, is dominating and they're proud, they're arrogant, and you shouldn't, you should not tolerate that kind of uh, uh, relationship. That should not be happening. Is that good? Yes. So think about it. I think you know it. Um, and so, uh, I was just in Hungary, and I told one of the pastors. I said, "Let me ask you a question." Do you ever exhort and rebuke? How does it go? Titus, end of chapter 2. These things exhort, rebuke, reprove with all authority. Do you ever reprove, rebuke, and exhort with authority? And you tell them. You tell them. Right? Do you ever do that? And he's thinking, he was thinking about it, and he needed that word. I, I thought of it the day before when I was uh, going to bed, and this thought came to me 
that I don't know if our pastors know what this is, that this is uh, something that has to happen. Where does it happen? Is it one-on-one? -on -one? Is it right now in a meeting like this one? Is it in a rap session? Is it, do you meet with them in person? Do you gently lead them? And you ask them, are you always doing the Holy Spirit? I have met people, they say, I'm always doing the Holy Spirit. And I'm like thinking, I don't know about you, but I, I don't think so. And my wife is faithful to tell me something. And my attitude and the things that I think about and the check on my heart. Okay. So that's important. Uh, boy, I think that's about the whole message right there. That's a good, that's a good Holy Spirit. The whole denomination wow. is all based on the, on teaching about the Holy Spirit. What denomination is it? Okay. Pentecost. Hey, it's the Assembly of God. Go. It's a Pentecostal movement. It's Pentecostal church. Are they successful? Yes, in a way, they, they, they evangelize, they have meetings, they pray, and they preach. They believe they can lose their salvation, generally. And they emphasize the gifts of the Spirit and many other things, like the legalism that comes with um, the, the, uh, the, you know, comes with a, it. Well, it comes when there is not much Bible doctrinal teaching. I went to a Pentecostal church for about four months, and I heard two messages. You must be born again, John 3, 5, and then Pentecost in Acts 2. That was rotating the messages every week. was one of those messages. And I looked at my Bible, I wonder what the rest of the Bible is saying. <laughs> Wait, would you mind telling me what's the, who is Jeremiah? <laughs> I'd like to learn. Then, I met Dr. Stevens, and there was a match made in heaven in my heart. Now, Jesus said about marriage, what God has joined together, what did he say? No man divides something. What else has he put together behind, behind besides marriage? What else did he put together? The church. We'll look to your right and left. The church. What? We are fitly framed together. We are members of the body. He put you in the body. What God has joined together, let no man divide the brethren, divide the body. Let no man interfere with what God is doing. As God put us together. But what divides us? It's the flesh. Mm. So what am I saying? The Holy Spirit filling us is at the very heart of our unity. It is our unity. It's Christ in us is our unity. And the more you allow the flesh to dominate and rule and have an opinion. I don't care about your opinion. Mm. Have you ever said that to somebody? I don't care about you. You can take your opinion and go to Mexico with it. <laughs> or any other place. Or, you know, you can go down the road. 
You can take your breath. I don't care about your opinions. Do you have that authority? You might say, like, what kind of authority is it? This is God has ordained for pastors to lead the church. God has ordained for the pastor to have a voice. That's Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The Spirit says to the church, and he spoke to the angel of the church. Now, whether that's an angel or the pastor teacher, that's fine. Whatever way you want to read it. But we're talking about the angel of the church of Ephesus, or you can say, if you want, the pastor teacher, and he speaks to the whole church through the messenger of the church. So, uh, you have the authority to exhort, reprove, and rebuke. Let's, let's look at it. Did I tell you to turn to first Samuel? Yes. Okay, well, keep your finger there. You have to turn it back and forth. Once you find it, it'll be hard to find it again. Okay, uh, where are we? Titus. Who in a couple times, verse 15, these things speak. Uh, I am very, very, very thankful for the people that we've got. Thousands of hours of messages from Dr. Stevens. I had many teachers in Bible college, but I had one guy. One guy that made a big impression, obviously, and that was Dr. Steele. He was so good at it. He made me think he was effective. I, I've copied him. I followed him 36 years in person. And then after he's gone, I listen to his messages. I am refreshed. I can turn the lights off in my office and listen to a message. And I, I feel like I'm in the classroom. I'm a child again. I go back. I'm listening to what the Spirit says to me through my Bible. I do it as a practice. It's not a problem. I enjoy it. I'm refreshed. I'm edified. I say this because in some of the questions was, how do you stay fresh? Um, and we all find our way. We exercise. Uh, we eat good, maybe. Once in a while, <laughs> our wife makes us. Um, we uh, keep moving, physically keep moving, keep your body moving. Uh, you, you know, stay healthy as much as you can. Your body is a temple. Mine is falling apart. And uh, so is yours. Here <laughs> we are. We are going slowly to the grave, and we're going there. And, and we're going to get great reward of uh, maybe, uh, but we'll finish our course. And finish our course with joy. Finish our course in the spirit. But this is what we need. Look at verse 15, chapter 2. These things speak, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Mm. Maybe that means uh, get it in them that they will receive it because of your love and investment 
and do it when, when in, in Hungary, I was told they have goose livers that they, they, mm. they get the liver to be big by feeding, overfeeding the goose. <laughs> and the way they, they get the food down is they stroke the throat of the goose and they get them to eat more and more and their livers get big, uh, something like that. But I feel a pastor needs to get it down the throat of the church. They need it without running out the door. And if they and they need to be uh, told it long before. Now remember, Pastor Stevens would make fun yes. and mock people that would have a sentimental journey. How many can you sing the song? Oh, you know it. Yeah, he would, he would challenge people. What, do you need to be, have some baby food? Oh, you got to take a little rest, a little nap. You, what, you have to, you, what, you little, little person. You, I like it. He helped us by leading us to be men. To be men, to stand up, to show up, to have courage, to have faith based on the truth. Be spirit-filled. I think people want it. They do. They want it. Can you rebuke somebody? Turn to your neighbor and just say, could you rebuke somebody? If you just had to face off with somebody, in our mind. And I did not enjoy it either. Yeah, I forgot. Wait a minute. We have 
the exhorting, reproving, rebuking is in doctrine, then when people are in the flesh, they could be like we all are sometimes and don't pay attention sometimes. Love, and we don't walk around judging people. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a ministry where you have a leader, a leader that is controlling and dominating, and he's not a spiritual person. That person is not a spiritual person. As a, as a habit of life, he's not a spiritual person. And he's in authority. He's an authority. I don't, I don't want him. I don't want him. He's not making decisions. I don't want him in the, in the place of authority. Yeah, he's carnal. I don't know what he's doing. I can't trust him in that, in that capacity. Do I love him? Yes. But you cannot allow like carnal people to run your, run your life, it, it, run your ministry, but run your life. Mm. Mm. You, you, are, you have people, you know, Jesus had 12, and one of them, like he would allow, in his group, he would allow one of them, and he mm. knew it very well. Okay, here's a little lesson. We shared it the other day. This is a good one. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, what did the disciples say? Is it I? Is it I? What else did Anybody remember what Judas said? Judas said, Master, is it I? And then uh, one of the Gospels, they all said, okay, is it? what is it that they didn't say? Not me. Not me. Okay, they didn't say, it's not me. That's a good point. But another thing is, nobody said, is it Judas? Huh. Why didn't they say it? Is because guys, they didn't know. They didn't know. Right. They couldn't discern it. Mm. They didn't know. You don't know the hearts of people. Wow. The very people you have lunch with. Mm. What is, What is the point? Not to breed suspicion about each other or to be judges of each other. I'm just telling you. Long before you have your problem, you should be discerning spirits. First John four one, and also hearts of men, and don't put them in there, and do not ordain them, and do not give them that authority. Do not give them the keys. They are not to have the keys. Now they're not to have the keys. Okay, you got it. Okay, so I have seen pastors allow gossiping to go on. I have seen people uh, be critical of other pastors in our presence. Um, I have seen uh, criticism and negativity about the ministry, about people. I have seen all of that happening. That cannot happen. That's not how we talk. We don't talk like that. We live in love. We have something else going on here. Let's turn back to First uh, Samuel. And verse uh, chapter 17. Verse 57. 
as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul, with the head of the Philistine in his hand. All right, so that little phrase, the head of the Philistine in his hand, he didn't have to say much. David didn't have to say much. Why didn't he have to talk? <laughs> the head. Yeah, the head. What's in his hands? The trophy. Yeah, the head. Did David have to explain himself? No. And why? <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> what? Yeah. What does it mean? Where it's like when Jesus is raised from the dead, and really he's got the grave, the victory over the grave in his hand. He can say, you know, you guys, do you have the gospel? You know what I did? Mm. You know that I overcame death and the devil, and this is right here in my hand. Mm. Now, here's a good point, great question. What's in your hand? You know, have you had any victory? Have you overcome the gossip? Have you ever overcome a conspiracy against you? Yeah, Pastor Jay had some challenge in that. I want you to you know, say something, Pastor Jay, that you're one of the guys on my list. You know, just a few minutes about it, because you went through a very big deal, a hard time. Uh, do you have, a, you know, I overcame a conspiracy. I outlived my enemies. Amen. God bless me. When God blesses you and you have something in your hand that came from God, Amen. then there's something happens with other people around you. Mm. And that's here with uh, Jonathan, verse 1, chapter 18, verse 1. It came to pass when he had made an end of speaking on the Saul that the Saul Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. I wonder what the head of Goliath had to do with Jonathan having his soul knit with David. Hmm. Jonathan just can see this young kid. And he could say, he's got victory. I like it. Yeah. I want victory. That this guy's like my hero. He did it. Mm. Now, in your life, if you as a leader have this in your life, that head can represent a lot of things. Mm. Marriage problem that you get the victory in. Or maybe you failed. Your marriage failed, but you got victory even over the disappointment, discouragement. Uh, you forgave, like you really got hurt. A lot of, a lot of hurt, but you were able to forgive. That's like in your hand or in your heart, in your life. And people are drawn to you. They're drawn to you because of your personal life, your personal victory in your heart. You're not spewing out carnality. You're not complaining about life. You're not an empty person. You're alive. You got something 
and people see it, you got, you got something going on in your heart. Nobody else does, but you have. You got a ministry. You got something going on. Everybody's over in the corner on a sentimental journey or complaining about life, about the inflation and the politics and everything that's going on. Everything, but you somehow are able to walk with like with a head in your hand and you're not talking much. You just are you just know that's good that God did it. That's good. I met God in prayer. I met God in the pulpit. I met God when I had to forgive. I met God when I felt like quitting. I felt God when it again and again. So you got Jonathan uh, representing where God has joined together Jonathan and David. Let no man divide son. And yeah, I don't think it will. It can happen, but that's the point. Okay? All right, so would you talk for a moment with your neighbor? That's the message, I think. And just say, uh, what's, the, what's the head in your hand? You have any. Or is it more like your head is in the devil's hand? <laughs>
Who, who's leading us? The flesh is always want to lead. Mm. Right? See, because Adam, he will never stop talking to you about how great he is. And especially, he loves to talk to pastors. You're doing a great job for God. Look at what's happening. Look at the results. You know, you know didn't I preach a great message? <laughs> and he's there just like boasting. And God says, you know, humble, right? Yeah. Jesus, he came, right, Philippians chapter 2, 5 and 9. And he came, and he came humble, right? And he went low so that he could be led up. Amen. So he could be led. That's us. We we keep we keep going down, right? It's a spiral, and that spiral, right? All of a sudden, I don't know where I'm going. And Jesus Christ says, "I know where you're going," because He says, "I am the truth, the, the way, the truth, and the life." And we talked this last week. The way, and then the way came in Acts, and it came to those believers, and they simply believed. That Jesus was the way without having a name there. But then in Acts chapter 11, right, then the word became Christian, right? And then now that word Christian says, now Jesus is the way through Christianity, and he's the one that's leading, right? And he's the one we're following, and he's the one we're trusting, and he's the one we know, and he's the one we're in a relationship with, and he's the one that's done the work. And it is yeah. finished in John chapter 17. Yes. And you can follow Christ and you can know that he is leading you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I feel like a little Pentecostal. So I want to encourage you, like pastors and leaders, right? That I can't tell you how many days when I became a pastor in Wilmington, like, I never decided to look at what I was doing in Wilmington. Mm. I focused on Christ. I focused on Jesus Christ. And he would show me things like Pastor Schaller said, like, can you discern, like, Jesus Christ ahead of you? Mm. Right? Or, or, or are you looking at the thing that's right in front of you and you're saying, that's, that's what I'm going to depend on, what I can see. Or you're looking down the road and you can see things. And then you start telling your people that I saw God. And because I saw God, I believe we can do all things through Jesus Christ. Because now I'm not limited to what I can do. Mm, yes. And I'm not thinking about what I can do in my limitations. I'm thinking about what we can do in our unlimited patience, right? So I'm encouraging you here, pastors and leaders. There's going to be some days, and it looks like God is not doing anything, but trust the one who's leading you, Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. That was great, huh? You know, one, for a minute, we can kind of review that first. Great thoughts. Conversation. You knew about what spoke to your heart about it. That's what Carl that said that was anointed. Was yeah. Wow. Precious. 
I knew it. I just knew it. But I was like, yeah. I mean, I, I love so, it. You're looking at God, uh, and you're not looking at God always a reward for it. 
it's like it's a it's a guaranteed reward mm. when you serve. Yeah. You don't know how it's like giving it an offering, right? Heart heart offering. Psalm fifty one. You know, a contrite heart. And you don't know how it's gonna come back to you when you serve. Yeah, it's a mystery when you serve. And uh, but if you serve with a measure or a calculation already wrong. You know, I expect this to come back to me. And mm. you just, you know, that's, I guess that's how you serve. So, so we're not all around, we're not all around. Uh, discipleship, making disciples. <laughs> the reason why we're here, why discipleship is really important, I think it's one of those underestimated things in Christianity. Paul mm. Hoffer said, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. Wow. I think it's a, it's a small leg in many pastors skill set hmm. because they think it's a gift so they say well i'm not gifted at it when wow. it's really a skill it's a skill um a lot i could say about it but i'll just say this um people see pastors and they're impressed by us from a distance they're impressed by the leader or even the pulpit you're serving they see you from a distance and you make an impression second corinthians 3 2 your life is a book is read among all men there's an impression you make on people. Until you get up close and personal and begin to invest in disciple, you don't make an impact. Hmm. We want we gotta get beyond the impression and get into the impact. And that requires the intimacy. Hmm. Um, think about it like this. Uh, Pastor Shivali gives the example about George Whitfield. I think he led six hundred thousand people to Christ. Many of you know who he is. Only half of his room, half of his room knows who he is. And then there's a who was a phenomenal evangelist. But he never made disciples. Mm. George Whitfield told John Wesley that my ministry compared to yours is like a rope of sand. Mm. There's three denominations that exist because John Wesley made disciples. Great percentage of Christianity doesn't know who George Whitfield is. The difference between the two men is a legend and a legacy. A legend is about what someone was and what they did. That's George Whitfield. He was amazing. Half his room doesn't know who he is. A legacy is something that follows beyond you. We were not built for legends. We may do legendary things, we were built for legacy. Disciple, fruit. Discipleship and the greatest 
idea I had about discipleship that Martin referred to me for that, the WIT principle. Yeah? And everybody leave his practice sitting without saying much. The WIT principle. Put in time. The WIT principle. Jesus said he called. First it says, I think it's Luke 6, 12 to 14, he prayed. Then he approached. Then he initiated. And then he, then he involved himself. He said, be with me. He says later he would do things. But he says he ordained them to be with him. Read that, read that verse in Mark. He ordained them to be with him. The with principle. If I'm not with people, I'm not making disciples. They're just impressed about me from a distance. But I'm not making an impact. Hmm. And what is the future of your ministries? Will we be another George Whitfield? Legend, or we call to be have a legacy to make disciples bear fruit. John 15 16. Uh, just to say something, I, I've observed about Pastor Ronaldo, and you can maybe comment, Pastor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I found. Yeah, I don't know about what you guys realized, but I find that I get into it. could be when I'm with somebody and we end up talking about something on a trite or something not a heavy weight, no real heavy weight, you know. Not everything we say is heavy, but if you live your life like without any real like message, word, and season then how can we make disciples? Mm. We can make good guys, you know, they like to be with us or hang out with us, but how can we make good disciples if we don't have some weight in our message, something to say? And I've, I've seen with Pastor Ronaldo, uh, he can, he talks like he talks. It's also hard to make disciples if you stop talking. You know, really, because Disciples come from words. What kind of words? There's certain kind of words. So, you want to say something about that? Um, you don't. You don't frame words, but I think Psalm 17, 2 and 3, you get sentences from the presence of God, and God gives us individual words for individual And I think sometimes we spiritually nudge people. Will nudge to believe more for them than they maybe believe about themselves. Mm -hmm. I have a spiritual vision for their life, and they look at you and they say, "I can't." They said, "I can't." I don't know. Why not? Um, mm -hmm. Think about discipleship. This is a good definition I've used mm -hmm. a lot: is meeting people where they are yeah. and leading them where God wants to take them. Mm -hmm. That's discipleship. So that means I, I'm observant, I'm discerning in the body as a pastor, as a leader. I'm discerning the body. These things, if it's a spiritual skill, it's spiritually discerned. So I'm spiritually discerning, okay, God, who? If I can invest in everybody, then the specific people that God has called me to disciple, me. Mm. He matches, the Holy Spirit matches you. You discern, and then God can carry your life with theirs. Pastor Wright said this many years ago. 
is there room in your life for someone else? Mm. Wow, that's good. Is there room in your life for someone else? That's really discipleship. The, the words are important because in the beginning, that's all you have. Because most men will size you up and look at you. It's a psychological thing. Just decide about you. Just look at them. They, side, they see you as an eight, and, and maybe they're a three. They're going to see there's some, there's, uh, you can say this over here. There's some quality about your life. This goes back to the overcoming thing. Um, they see that you, you have won. And what you've won, they don't understand. That's spiritually discerned. But they, how you won is miraculous to them. <laughs> how are you winning right now? The world is fascinated by the way we win. Not that we win. How did you win like that? You're not supposed, you won it. You weren't supposed to win. Like, how did you win like that? That's mm-hmm. Second Corinthians 3. Two people studying life. How do you win like that? But I want to win the way you win. I want to have victory over the things you have victory. I want to do the things you do. Can I do it? Mm-hmm. You can do that and more, Jesus. Disciples, you'll do more than I can do. Yeah, do you have any question you want to ask him? I think that's that, that spirit that spirit stuff stuff. Yeah. Another question for me. I have a question. <laughs> uh, yeah, back up. Uh, later. Uh, no, it's discipleship. Like, it's I have what happened. It's a maybe past shower can miss. It popped my head. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you disciple somebody like Judas, he went away. So what do you say about people you disciple and spend a lot of time in and maybe they don't stay disciple? I'm not saying our discipleship was not good, but has that ever happened to you? Is there a time where you say, I did so much and it still did not stay? And yeah. an act of faith. If it's an act of faith, you're not responsible for the result. Amen. If you obey God by faith, the result is going to be God. When I disobey God, I accept the consequences. Okay. But if you have children, you have more than one thing. Yeah. We have all kinds of signs. You follow the life. Paul here, Demas, he's got Timothy, you have all kinds of sons. You love them all, they're all unique. Okay. Whatever God brings to you, and that's when you disciple them in, where they go and where they go. But it, but it still hurts. Like uh, 1 Samuel 17, after Saul has failed, um, yeah. after Saul has failed in 1 Samuel 17, um, Samuel is crushed. He's crushed. He goes to the of Ramana, the prophets, and he's crushed. Quiet. If you've ever done, if it ever happened to you, you get very quiet, isn't it true? Yes. You get alone and you get very quiet. You cannot believe that that guy is gone. Almost, you almost cannot believe it. And God just comes up to him and says, "This is part of the call. I've already, I've already selected somebody else." And he says, "Fill your horn with oil." Get up in the spirit and just. Because God's got, God's got more than one disciple. He's the mental one you have, but you're in many channels. Mm. God didn't call you on the earth to disciple one. He calls you to disciple Exactly. Could you say also just to throw in there, like Adam was saying, what I hear and what your, your question is. So, yeah, go ahead. You, no. Okay. <laughs> the question is, are you, you, you cannot be possessive of relationships. 
That's good. You cannot be possessive of people. You, you think about God giving Adam and Eve the freedom of sin. Mm -hmm. Freedom, freedom is at the heart of what we're doing. You're a disciple. Somebody's a disciple voluntarily, and they are not making a pledge to you. They are growing in Christ. They can walk away from you. That, that's a very important point in leadership. A leader cannot be possessive of people. And the, the, in that possessiveness, it smacks up of the, the potential for manipulation and control. And that that's just violates the whole idea of God. God draws us. He doesn't push us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't push you. What else? He doesn't yank you with a chain. He draws you with love. And love means freedom not to respond. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not responding. Why, why are you a disciple? Love makes a disciple. By the way, love is an, uh, this an option. Discipleship is an option. Jesus said, if you will be my disciple. But he said, you must be born again. That's no option. In that sense, you must be born again. But if you would be my disciple is an option. And then if you would continue is also an option. And there are people that you invest in for years or decades, and they can walk away from you and the ministry. And actually, they're free to do so. You know, they're free to do that. It could be, you know, whatever is taking them out, but you don't have to, um, you know, I think challenge, you want to make a comment on that? What's the difference between like manipulating or controlling a person and then like loving them, investing in them, and caring about them. Anything that removes their free will is control. Anything that removes their free will is control. Uh, would be presenting greater options that are in front of you. Give them a wide, you show them the whole room. You, they, maybe they're thinking very narrowly about this situation. And you open the room and say, but there's also this, there's also this. You make observations and, and present options. And then they have to go to God. And whatever God tells them, they have their accountable for and responsible for. A very good example is Philemon. Paul wrote to Philemon, and he did not require Philemon to obey him. But he said, it's your call. Mm. It's your call to forgive Onesimus. And you know, that's your call. I'm not going to. But he said, but you do know that, that because of me, you know, your household, that you've been saved. You know, I have served you. <laughs> he did make that point. But he also said, I cannot make it a demand on you. I cannot make a demand on you. Let me share one thing about leadership. I noticed it. Here's a, here's a leader, and he's insecure. And he wants to know, do you love me? Here I am. I want to know, do you love me? Are you loyal to me? Are you committed to me? Can I trust you? 
and the guy the path the leader wants to wants to test. So he draws a line in the sand over here. He says, if you are my real friend, you will cross that line. And um, that te I'm testing you. you are my real friend, you cross that line. And the guy could look at you, he's a young disciple, and he could say, yes, I want to be your friend, so I'll cross the line. And that, then the pastor or the leader is, is, it reinforces his feeling of trust in you. And he does this, it's like a technique, mm. but, uh, but I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like to put people to that test. I mean, I, it's not my business. God can do that, but I would like to more rather say that you are, you are my brother and you are free. And I'm not, I'm not the one that's, that's controlling your life. You are free. You can decide. And I am going over here. And the leader insecure will say, well, if you're going to go over there, I will go with you. But the, the insecure leader will say, you must come with me. Because I, if you are going to be my friend, then you have to be with me. It's, 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 I hope I'm explaining it right. I think you understand. I would much rather say, you know, um, you know, like Pastor Paul said, Jesus is being led by the Father, and Jesus just turns and he goes. And if you will be his disciple, you will yes, follow. You follow. But Jesus isn't saying, you know, cross that line. Right. Because I'm insecure. And wow. I need to know, are you with me or not? Wow. I want to know right now. <laughs> are you going to give me the money or not? That's <laughs> They, these relationships are much uh, more spiritual, much very important. Anyway, that's thanks, Pastor. Uh, how about if we have Pete uh, Westera? And the question was, what's the balance between family, ministry, and business? Wow. Money is no fun. 
compared to finding Jesus. I mean, you know, it's extremely boring. And uh, I, don't, I don't, I don't mean to say that I don't want to make more money or anything crazy like that. But just, you know, it just wasn't enough for me. That was a thing. I was, I was given a great, gracious gift. Gracious gift. Mm-hmm. God showed me something that the life that I was living would never satisfy me. So, um, God will give us things we really want them just to show us that they're empty. So. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I ever really made like a big decision and just said, you know, I'm not, I mean, I did, I guess I did. I did go to Bible college. I did decide uh, almost 17 years ago that I would work for my company three days a week and then two days a week at the church. But I don't know if it was so much out of like willpower and strength and, you know, ability. I really don't. Honestly, I'm just being honest with you. I just was like, I have to. I have to. I got to. I got to. Yeah. I got to do something else with life. Because hmm. I was very empty. I was very, very empty. So uh, the, 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 my verse for that is uh, Psalm 106, right? This was the verse years ago that I was given. There's a kind of grace. There's a kind of grace. Levels of grace. And um, this is a little bit of grace that was given to me. In, and it's verse 15. Um, and he gave them their requests. Praise the Lord. Jesus is so faithful. Do you want it? I'll give it to you. But with it came something. Something else. And that was emptiness. Wow. Long sentence. So, uh, how do you balance it? I don't know. I have no clue. I just, I just said, I'm never doing that again. I'm never <laughs> making my life work again. Mm. And by the grace of God, you know, I'm still doing that. And I don't want, I don't, I can't even, in fact, I'm trying to get rid of it. It would be great if I could get rid of it. So, um, I'm trying to figure out a way if it's the, it's the Lord's awesome. will. The Lord's will. So, so, um, you know, the ministry is such a joy. Awesome. This is a joy. Now, a lot of times it seems like hard work and a lot of crazy hard days. And like, I've never worked harder in my life than in the ministry. You know, there's times and seasons where I've never worked harder. Now, I'm a hard worker. That's one thing I know how to do, but I've never worked harder. There were, there were times, difficult days and times that you don't ever want to have to repeat, but also like the joy of it. You know, it's just you and Jesus. That's how I feel. I just like feel me and Jesus kind of feeling about it. Ministry. And I have a call to God in your life. Imagine living until you're 34 years old without a call to God in your life. And then the call of God hits you like a ton of bricks. Wow. Someone hit me with a baseball bat. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is what it's like to have a call to God in your life. So, um, so I don't know how to balance it. I have no clue. Probably I, I, I just, you know, God is just merciful to me. I just have to do it this way. Just, you know, I think that's just all mercy. So I don't know if that helps you. But the second part of the family, I just love my wife. I love my wife to death. She's like a big, gracious gift in my life. Um, you know, um, I love to be with her. I love being with her. I love going away with her. I love traveling with her. I love, you know, my kids moved out. My wife's like crying every other day because my kids moved out. there. <laughs> I said, honey, it's like having a date every night. Every time I'm home, we are like on a date, having dinner together, just you and me. And, and I'm loving it. I love my kids, but uh, I uh, love my wife. But, uh, 
But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, better than her having ten sons. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is just very gracious. She lets me do it. So I think she knows I have to do it. Maybe she knows and recognizes that I have to do it. So she doesn't want to stop me. That's one of her rules. I'm never going to stop you. Just to go do your thing. So do I balance it? I feel like she's the one that's doing the balancing. She's the one that's like, you know, <laughs> letting me do it, right? If she didn't let me do it, there would be no balance. There would be there would be a disaster. It would be everything I'm doing would be wrong, right? I think. So she is the one holding the balance and she's the one that's allowing me. There's a few things, you know, I mean there's a couple things, you know, that she would like. So I try to do that. And um, Sunday mornings are a little religious for me. I have to go to church with her and with her only, and we have to go home together, and I can't talk to any kids or anybody. Just, you know, go to church, have a cup of coffee afterwards. Can we just can we just have one one church service where we go together? <laughs> so we have a couple of things like that, like probably most of you do, and spend time with her when I can, uh, weekends and things away when I can, just love being with her. I think my wife is secure because she knows I love her. I think that's what it is. Mm. Where she became very secure and just let me do my thing. And if you want to know how to balance your ministry, then ask my wife. I don't know. <laughs> you hit a nerve, though. I think you heard it hit a point, and I think there might be some questions here from the guys about the wife. Uh, what do you say? No, we don't want it. But you know, you know, uh, I, I want to tell everybody a little bit about him. He has a very big business. He got a lot of employees. How many? Seven or something? Uh, Sixty. Sixty employees, trucks, big things, contracts, etc. It's a full-time job. But to take two days a week for the church and for no money and just for kids and youth ministry. When he does Camp Life Europe, I mean, you can't imagine organizing and having 50 kids fly to Europe, and he's got to be figuring out hotels, flights, all kinds of things. He does a phenomenal job. I mean, really, it's amazing. I'm told, like visiting kids, you know, on a Thursday night, uh, uh, teenagers, loving kids. I mean, this is amazing, really. And I say to the glory of God, we are in a room with people that are, they are exceptional by God's grace. We don't think like that about ourselves. That's a good thing. We're not anything special. On the other hand, the way you live, the way we live, is to the glory of God. And it's because of the Holy Spirit. And because, you know, you loving your wife. I have a question. Do you have one? Okay. I want you just to be open. I don't want this to be, it's, it's an awkward question. It's funny. Please follow with me and it, maybe it helps somebody. The only reason I bring it up is because maybe it helps somebody. Uh, have you ever been attracted to you know, some a woman. Uh, how do you deal with that? Um, I, we are men, 
that can happen to a pastor. Uh, you have a very good marriage. You have made an allegiance, uh, commitment, and you're godly, and your wife also. You have business, you have ministry, everything. I just want you to say something about that, whatever. I hope this isn't, is this an internationally broadcast? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Work 
on my job or anything before her or the ministry at all. And you know, so they're with business with business that size. And I guess I mean, you have to. There is a juggling going on because my most important thing, and Pastor Pete said it too, is is we have to have the time for the ministry. It's that important that you're with God before God and that you're praying for your wife and you're covering your wife, but that's not before your job. I mean, I, I see people go to work, I mean, and they come back and, and they don't even speak to each other. You know, and it, 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 it's, to me, it's just setting up problems later on. They might not come out right away, but they will come out and it's not going to be good when they come out. You know, I mean, maybe just to be a little bit more practical for you, if this helps you. For me, what I had to do is I just had to, the, the days are sacred. Um, you try to email me about church stuff on Wednesdays and Thursdays, text me. I can't reply. I'm all about my work. Ten-hour days minimum, work very hard. On Tuesdays, my work notes, don't call me, don't text me unless it's an emergency. So that's how I did it. I just said, look, i got to figure this out. i got to balance it. I guess that's the word, but. I'm available Monday, Wednesday, Thursday to you guys and to my staff at the church. I say I'm available Tuesday, weekends, Fridays, I'm available. And that, and that has helped me. I, I don't know how my staff likes it, but that I can't do two things. It's, I'm not a woman. I can't do two things. <laughs> so I just had to do it that way. I just said, okay, here's what we're going to do. These times I say, Saturday night, do not ask me ever to go to any birthday party, any other thing. Don't plan anything. Don't do anything. Saturday nights I go to the bus. That's, let's just, this is our life. End of story. So that, that works, you know, so um, practically that helps you. That, 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 that works for me. Uh, can I tell you one little story? Because I've been, I called this kid today. So I, when I, I've been going to Central Asia uh, for 15 years. 15 years ago, Central Asia. 15 years ago, this little, there was a little boy. His name was Chingis. And I think one or two of you know him. Maybe JD remembers him. He went to Camp Life Europe in Georgia. Um, anyways, uh, and he grew up, and he we got to know each other. Every time I would go, I used to go past Shaler back then, I would bring a box of Legos for him, you know, give it to him. We got to know each other. Hmm. And then, uh, uh, of course, he becomes older and older, and every year I see him, every year we have a great conversation together, lots of love. And he becomes a teenager, of course, he gets rebellious, boy, no dad. So, anyways, um, his mom's in the church. His dad's a Mulan. Uh, he's, he's a Muslim, um, religious, very religious, you know, five times a day to the mosque. So, he turns 16 or 17 recently, a year ago. He, his mom couldn't handle him anymore. He wasn't, he wasn't, um, wasn't uh, just rebellious. Nothing crazy. You can become a youth leader. No big deal. But if you're a mom, you're freaking out. So she says, go live with your dad. You have to go live with your dad for a year. So this Christian boy grew up in our church all the way in Bishkek. Pastor Emil is his pastor. I see him every single year. He knows he knows great grace. He loves Jesus. Now he is going every single day, five days a week with his father. Five times a day, sorry. Seven days a week to the mosque. Wow. And he's on his knees praying to, you know, Allah, right? And it just killed me. 
it just killed me. I mean, I, I just could not believe. Like, I'm like, this kid is Christian, you know. So God gave me peace. He just gave me peace about it. He said, there's no way it's going to work. It's not going to work. Hmm. We loved him. We showed him Jesus. You think that he, that Allah and his dad can have any impact on this kid? And I'm th- I, n- I haven't talked to him. I keep trying to call him, and it's very difficult, 10-hour time difference. But I just think, like, that Chingus is on his knees in that mosque praying to Jesus. That's what I think. And I think that his dad has no impact. And I, I don't know anything. I know nothing. But I just think, like, um, you know, we are in such an important business and loving kids and teenagers. I know this is not the subject, but, you know, it, Work, I've never felt like work gave me anything like that. You know what I mean? But if I have impacted Chingus, and if he is in a mosque five times a day praying to Jesus, then I'm the happiest guy on the planet. I'm the happiest guy on the planet. If that happens, and I think it did, or if, if there's any teenager out there that's praising Jesus any moment, any time, then that is incredibly fulfilling to our life. It's, you know, it's much better than closing a sixty thousand dollar deal or making some money or buying a new car. Like, I don't know. Like, are you, did I do it? I don't know. But I know we live this life, and I know it's fulfilling. It's hard. It's difficult. It's difficult times, but it's extremely fulfilling. And Chingus is one of many examples. And we hmm. we have all other bad, sad stories, but you know, we uh, we we you know. I just keep praying for Chingus in that mosque, wherever he is. So, praise the Lord. Uh, Let's take a bathroom break.